Welcome to Quest, where we believe a great faith, great church experience, and great life is grounded in authentic relationship with God and living life with friends. Join us today in changing our world one friendship at a time. If you would like more information about connecting at Quest, stay tuned after the message. So back in the 1800s, there's a story told about a man named Alfred, whose brother had died. And he picked up a newspaper to read his brother's obituary, but the newspaper got their names wrong. And instead, he read his own obituary. Kind of awkward, especially since the title of the obituary was The Merchant of Death is Dead. Now, Alfred was a brilliant chemist who created a safer explosive called dynamite. He intended it to be used for construction. He amassed a fortune beyond any imagination he had ever had about how much money he'd make off it. But the problem was dynamite was also used in other things, including war, thereby earning him the title The Merchant of Death. The newspaper went on on to say that Alfred had become rich by finding ways to kill more people faster than ever before. And that greatly disturbed him. And it was, uh, many people believe, uh, who knew him, uh, believe it was a pivotal experience in his life to help him intentionally refocus his life's purpose, rethink of what he wanted his life to be known for. Alfred actually decided to give away 94% of the wealth to fund prizes that were focused on benefiting humanity. Alfred's last name was Nobel, the founder of the Nobel Prizes for people making valuable contributions to physics, chemistry, medicine, literature, and peace. It's sort of a sobering thing, maybe even a, sorry, a morbid thought. If your obituary, if my obituary were written today, what would it say? See, this ties into the series we're in on how to live a life intentionally. Not by accident, but to live on purpose. What do we really want our lives to represent? What do we want to be known for? So at the beginning of this series, we, you may recall we talked about an Olympic air rifle shooter, considered by many to be the best in the world, and until at the Olympics he took aim and, did, and failed to do something he intentionally always did on every time he shot, and he ended up shooting at the wrong target, and he lost the gold medal as a result. That's what this series is about. Because like the Olympic shooter and like Alfred Nobel, the very best of us can easily live life aimed at the wrong target. If we're not intentionally focused on how we live our lives, we may be pursuing the wrong thing. So far, here are some of the things we've discussed in the series so far about how we live intentionally. We all talked about how we all live for an audience, don't we? And the question is, is God really the first and foremost audience we care about in our lives? When we make a decision, whose reaction do we think about most? So... We looked at through the life of Amos on this one, and we, we talked about how Amos taught us to live for an audience of one. Jeremy went on the next message to talk about Titus and how a life apart from God is foolishness, so that we intentionally live instead life with a dependency upon the Holy Spirit to live in a way that changes culture. And then Doug came last week and told us about how we intentionally value Scripture, to soak, to marinate, to memorize the power of God's Word, especially in knowing the depth of God as our shepherd. This week's story is a a really challenging one to our faith as we walk it out. And it's a really, I think, a really special passage in Scripture. 
While the story is well known, uh, as, uh, uh, what appeals to me in this story is what is often passed over. It's found in Acts 9, and it involves just two people, Saul, who would later become the Apostle Paul, and the disciple Ananias. Saul is the Hebrew version for his name. Paul is the Greek version for his name. We're more familiar with him as Paul. He's one of the spiritual giants of all Christian history, widely recognized as the most influential writer of all time. He penned nearly half of the New Testament. I mean, it's hard to imagine Christianity taking root so effectively in the Greco-Roman world without Paul. But Ananias? Well, he's not so well known. We don't know a whole lot about him. He gets just a few lines in the New Testament. He's known for just one single meeting with Saul, and then he seems to disappear. He's just an ordinary, faithful follower of Jesus, and yet his life dramatically impacts and encourages us in how to live more intentionally. So let me give you some context for our passage. In Acts 7 and 8, a few years after the resurrection of Jesus, we see the first devoted Christian, Stephen, become the first martyr of the new church. He's stoned to death by a zealous mob. No trial, no jury, just murder. And this is where we first see Saul, or better known as Paul in the Bible. It says, On that day, the day Stephen was killed, a great persecution broke out against the church in Jerusalem. And all except the apostles were scattered throughout Judea and Samaria. Godly men buried Stephen and mourned deeply for him, but Saul began to destroy the church, going from house to house. He dragged off both men and women and put them in prison. So we see that this martyrdom of Stephen kickstarts this something horrible in Saul. At this time, Saul is a Jewish Pharisee, a deep religi- deeply religious man, deeply devoted to God, but he didn't have a lot of room for grace. In fact, his religious devotion was full of anger and hostility. He became, the word says, destroying. That word destroying means to ravage or to annihilate. It's a word that expresses a brutal and even sadistic cruelty. Saul is so zealous... He literally goes house to house, dragging men and women out of their homes and putting them in in prison, and some of them even to death. Now think about that for a moment. Can you imagine women being pulled from their homes, dragged off to prison? Think of their children and their older parents screaming in fear and panic as this takes place because of Saul. In fact, Saul not only put the innocent and godly people in prison, he beat them and had some put to death. Later in the book of Acts, when Saul has become an apostle, he recounts what he did before becoming a Christian. He said it this way. He said, I went from one synagogue to another to imprison and beat those who believe in you, referring to Jesus. You have to be filled with a lot of hate to want to whip people repeatedly. Paul admits going on saying, Many a time I went from one synagogue to another to have them punished, and I tried to force them to blaspheme. I was so obsessed with persecuting them that I even hunted them down in foreign cities. The word obsessed, just that's somebody who's so angry they're almost out of their mind, right? These details show the depravity of Saul, an enraged, brutal, abusive person. 
Saul of Tarsus was very much like Antifa, or even worse, like the Taliban today. In today's scripture, Paul is headed for Damascus, modern Syria, after having received all authority to arrest and bring the early believers to prison and trial. Yet while on the road to Damascus, we see that he's literally knocked off his high horse to the ground by a blinding flash of light and heard Jesus call out to him saying, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And he said, who are you, Lord? And he said to him, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. But rise and enter the city, and you will be told what you are to do. Saul is struck, blind. The people with him have to lead him, stumbling with his feet over the rocks, into Damascus. And this is a powerful metaphor that God is creating for Saul of how blind he is to the truth of who Jesus is. Paul's conversion story is actually so familiar even today that when someone has a dramatic change in life after meeting Jesus, we often call it, people will often say, it's a Damascus Road experience. So after encountering Jesus, Saul waited for three days in, in Damascus, not eating or drinking. He spends 72 hours blind, fasting food and water, deep in prayer and deep in reflection. Can you imagine what was going through his mind during this time? He's probably thinking, what have I done? How could I have been so wrong? What's going to happen to me, such an evil person? What do I do now? Three days of darkness, confusion, remorse, pain, repentance. And Saul sits and waits. In Acts, the scene changes, and we're introduced to Ananias. This is not to be confused with Ananias, the high priest, nor is it the same Ananias as the one who was the husband of Sapphira, Sapphira who lied and to the Holy Spirit. This one is simply referred to as the disciple named Ananias. Very simple, very plain. We're not told a great deal about Ananias. If we jump to Acts 22, Paul now, an apostle, follower of Jesus, tells a little bit more about Ananias when sharing how his Damascus experience happened. Paul said, a man named Ananias came to see me. He was a devout observer of the law and highly respected by all the Jews living there. So here's the picture. This ordinary guy going about life, living life really well, known as a really godly, honorable man who had gained a reputation for being trustworthy and a real follower of God. Back in chapter 9, the story continues. The Lord called to him in a vision, Ananias. Yes, Lord, he said. Isn't that a great response? Yes, Lord. In the ESV, it says Ananias responds saying, Here I am. And I guess one question is, do we respond to God's promptings with such willingness and openness so quickly? Ananias shows us our first point today, that living intentionally requires that we cultivate the habit of listening for God. This is really what we're talking about. To be more aware of when the Holy Spirit drops a thought or prompts us to do something in our spirit. Or when we read something in the Bible and we know and we sense we need to respond. Do we say, yes, Lord, here I am. Learning to hear God's voice. Well, it's a process, isn't it? I mean, Jesus says to us, my sheep listen to my voice. I know them and they follow me. He wants us to know his voice. But isn't it easy for us to question so often, is this really God speaking to me when we 
sense something or feel something or have a thought or see something. And with Ananias, God gets very specific in his words. Verse 11, it says, The Lord told him, Go to the house of Judas on Straight Street and ask for a man from Tarsus named Saul, for he is praying. In a vision he has seen a man named Ananias come and place his hands on him to restore his sight. Wouldn't that be nice if God always spoke with that kind of clarity? Kind of reminds me of a research study done, though, by the Kansas University that showed the difference between someone who's an acquaintance and someone who's a close friend and how that can be measured in hours. The Kansas University study said it takes a minimum of 200 hours to go from being an acquaintance to a close friend. Maybe if you're trying out a new small group, just remember that. Just be patient. You can't skip the hours needed to build a deep relationship. So if your relationship with God consists of a few brief moments here and there, a prayer every once in a while, you're not in a close relationship. I mean, from a scientific definition, you are more of an acquaintance of God than in a relationship with Him. Learning how to hear God takes practice, and it takes time. There's no microwaving our faith, no instant depth of relationship. We just keep practicing and showing up with Him, and eventually we become more aware of how God usually speaks or prompts us as we move from being an acquaintance to a close friend. So let's continue, verse 13. Lord, Ananias answered, I've heard many reports about this man and all the harm he has done to your holy people in Jerusalem. And he has come here with the authority from the chief priests to arrest all who call on his name. (laughs) I've kind of always appreciated Ananias' response. Somehow he forgets who God is and he needs to tell God all this stuff that maybe God's forgetting. Do you know who Saul is and what he's been up to? Do you know all the harm he's done to your fathers? God, I don't think you quite understand how bad this guy is. Isn't he the enemy? Do you ever do that with God? When you feel like God may be prompting you to speak and do something or, or hear from him? You read something in the Bible or you sense he wants to do something and you come up with all kinds of reasons why it doesn't seem like maybe that's reality. Doesn't, maybe it's not a good idea. Like when you read the verse in the Bible that says, bless those who curse you. Really? Are you kidding me, Jesus? Do you know what a jerk that person is? Uh, be fair, Ananias, his hesitation was totally understandable. I mean, Saul is kind of the last guy on earth as a Christian at that point that you want to go see and you want to pray for. Ananias doesn't know if Saul is truly repented. All he knows is that Saul was a raging hater of Christians. Try to imagine if we were living where the church was so persecuted and people were coming with machine guns and anyone who showed up for church would be, you know, herded in the vans and put in a jail. And then you hear that one of the ringleaders of the persecutors of the church was on his way to Columbus to take the planet, the persecution to a whole new level. How would you feel? And then God asks you to go meet that person, to lay your hands on him and pray for him to be healed. How do you think you'd feel? Would you be fearful? 
Would you feel resentful? Would you even want to do it, knowing what this guy had done? Yet Ananias knew he couldn't let fear stop him from being obedient. And we can't wait for our fears and the discomfort we may feel to be overcome before we are obedient to what God asks us to do. Ananias lived out what Paul later told Timothy, said, For the Spirit of God gave, uh, the Spirit God gave us does not make us timid, but gives us power and love and self-discipline. And that's what Ananias' experiences here. I can't, I, I can see how he could feel resentful, couldn't you? How would you feel if you'd been a, a Christian in Damascus and heard Paul was blinded by God? Would you feel happy that this evil guy was finally getting what was due him? Have you ever felt that way about someone who treated you poorly? Glad to hear they got fired from their job or they were struggling in some way that they were actually experiencing the, what was due them and instead of you having to take the crud from them. Sometimes we feel these things because we see people only through our hurt and our anger. Even though they may be jerks, we stop seeing them as still being sacred and loved and made in God's image. We just don't want them redeemed. We want them punished. And Saul deeply harmed many people, to say the least. He terrorized innocent people. But God had more for Saul than to punish him. He wanted to redeem him. And Ananias got on board with God's plan. Verse 15 goes on and says, But the Lord said to Ananias, Go! So he's heard him, but he says, now just go. There's an exclamation here. God is saying, go, do what I asked you to do. This man is my chosen instrument to proclaim my name to the Gentiles and their kings and to the people of Israel, and I will show him how much he must suffer for my name. See, God is patient and lets Ananias voice his concerns. But then God says, go. Saul is my chosen instrument. Now, an instrument is the means by which a particular task gets done, right? Like in the surgeon's hand, a scalpel is an instrument. And we're glad he has that rather than a blunt hammer, right? However, what can a scalpel do by itself? Nothing. It has to be in the hands of the surgeon to do anything. God convinces Ananias that Paul will be the instrument to bring the gospel to the Gentiles. God is going to use Ananias as his instrument to jumpstart that plan. And the reality is God wants to use every single person in this room to jumpstart his plans in people all around us all the time. See, Ananias not only heard God, but took the next step and moved his feet to obey God. Verse 17, then Ananias went to the house and he entered it. See, the second thing today of being intentional is that once we listen, we also have to respond with radical obedience. Ananias was a man of deep conviction and a man of radical obedience. Not only did he practice listening to God, but he was quick to obey. See, often we may sense God, but we don't step out and follow through a lot of times. 
Then it says in the text, placing his hands on Saul, he enters the room, placing his hands on Saul, he said, brother. Ananias doesn't start off with, just so you know, I don't approve of what you've done. I'm here reluctantly. I don't even know if you are a real Christian. Again, this is public enemy number one to the Christians he's talking to. The man that has brought pain and hurt to his own, Ananias' own spiritual family. And Ananias obediently touches Saul, and his first words to him are, Saul, you're my brother. You're part of the family. Can you imagine how those words and that action of touching him must have impacted Saul? He's been in darkness three days with no food and water, vulnerable, sitting in silence. All the images of what he has done, including the stoning of Stephen, are probably racing through his mind. And then the door opens and someone comes in and places their hands on his head and says, Brother, and the text goes on and says, Saul, the Lord Jesus, who appeared to you on the road as you were coming here, has sent me so that you may see again and be filled with the Holy Spirit. What a powerful truth. Saul had done nothing for Jesus at that moment. He didn't deserve to be part of the family. Saul is receiving grace. And that grace isn't just for Saul, it's for all of us. None of us deserve it, but that's who God is. Ananias radically obeys. And verse 18 says, Immediately something like scales fell from Saul's eyes, and he could see again. He got up and was baptized, and after taking some food, he regained his strength. Saul's physical and spiritual blindness ended. Now we're told that Saul spent a number of days with the disciples at Damascus at that point, learning and even debating with the people who were unbelievers, trying to convince them to come to faith. Ananias fades from the story at that moment, and we don't hear any more from him. His role, though small, was significant. Now God could have done the healing and the calling of Saul by himself. Technically, he didn't need Ananias. It wasn't an angel God brought to touch and speak to Saul. It wasn't even one of the twelve disciples who came and brought a miracle to Saul. Ananias was not a charismatic leader with a huge following who spoke to thousands on hillsides. He was a little-known man who just worked every day, listened to God, and obeyed going to the most dangerous man in the entire country, armed with nothing but the faith that God had spoken to him and sent him. Where would Saul have been without Ananias? Where would the church be? Where would we be? God used Ananias' act of obedience to launch the ministry of the most influential Christ follower in all of history. The idea encapsulates Kind of another main lesson from Ananias' life that small acts of obedience can have great significance. So how intentional are each and every one of us at listening and obeying the small things that God is speaking to us about? 
Maybe there's another point that his story also brings out through, through kind of this question. How can we live out the love and mission of Jesus toward those we fear and are, those who are diametrically opposed to our beliefs and actions? Ananias put his faith in God more than he trusted his own fears of Saul. And by so doing, he blessed a man who could only see hate. The way Ananias responded to God causes you and me to ask ourselves, for those who differ from me, am I seeking God to help transform my deep disdain for those who stand on the opposite side of the political spectrum or the opposite side of certain social issues? Am I instead learning to love and to bless them? It's hard to not get upset with those who dominate our culture with viewpoints that are largely or even fully contrary to God and His ways. At home, I can be known as um, the person who kind of gets going a little bit, you know, saying, I, I, don't get, I don't get it. Their logic is absolutely flawed. And I may go for a while with my family and, uh, on, a, on, a, on a diatribe that shreds their viewpoint. And in response, sometimes my, kid, my family looks at me and goes, well, that's dad on another self-righteous rant. In other words, I start to look and sound a whole lot more like Saul than Ananias. But this is not an easy journey to become more like Ananias. To become more like Jesus and follow his way is not an easy journey. We need to be involved in politics and political discussions. Yet, with what kind of a spirit are we engaging those things? How do we reach out and build faith instead of fear? Relationships instead of alienation? Hope instead of hate? We're not called to be Paul. We aren't all going to be the one out in front and leading a crowd or the one recognized for their impact. But all of us are called to be Ananias. You are to listen to the Holy Spirit and become confident in how the Holy Spirit speaks to you. Grow more aware of how God is wanting to step out through you and touch people through you who is putting in your path and maybe even call you into paths that are extremely uncomfortable for you to just insert yourself into those and speak for Him. And simply obey God in sharing the gospel, in prayer, and in healing and sharing healing with others. God has something to say through you to somebody in your life, in your path, on a regular basis. There is nobody who is near you who needs, uh, sorry, there is somebody near you who needs your encouragement and prayer. And your willingness to step out is going to help them encounter God. And honestly, maybe that's today here in church. I think... I think sometimes we come to church primarily to receive, be inspired. I hope some of that stuff happens. But I don't know that we always come with the expectation that God wants to work through me today to touch somebody at church. 
I don't think we come a lot of times to church practicing our awareness and our sensitivity to the Spirit of God. The reality is maybe there is someone here who God wants to speak to through you today for you to encourage them or for you to offer the prayer through which God heals them or gives them the comfort and wisdom they need. I mean, honestly, it can be that simple. When Wendy and I were a lot younger, living in a city with no family, we were new there, we had started attending a new church, and we, we were just kind of feeling alone. And this older woman who came up to us and reached out to us, and she just, she just kind of grabbed us and said, you know, my husband and I have been praying for you. And that simple touch impacted us deeply. It was like, oh, God remembers us, knows us. We're not alone. Whether coming to church, going to work, sitting at home, hanging out with friends, how intentional are you in listening to see if God wants to do His work through you today toward the people around you? Sure, it can feel really awkward. I, I, I know that feeling. To step out in obedience on something you feel God may have said to you and to share that with someone... But here's the reality. If you are seeking to encourage, even if it wasn't God speaking to you, it's still going to be a blessing to them. But wow, when you hit that time right, and it really was God speaking to you, and the Holy Spirit shows up, that is cool. So many of you know, a little over a week ago, uh, Jeremy and I were at the Vineyard National Conference in Phoenix. And during one of the breaks, I was... I just found some place I could plug a laptop in out of the way, trying to hide to get some work done that I needed to get done for a class that I'm taking. And out of the blue, this woman walks up to me. And I got to tell you, it was really uncomfortable. It was really, really awkward. In fact, when I told Wendy about some of the details of it, we went, that's like, it kind of makes you want to laugh at how awkward it was, right? She said she felt like God had highlighted me to her and that God wanted to say something to me, but she had no idea what that was yet. And then she just kind of bumbled around for a minute or two, which is where most of the awkward stuff happened. And, you know, and, and then God did speak clearly through her to me. A really encouraging word, one that I wrote down, one that I'm going to regularly reflect on as God works it out, and maybe someday when it's worked out, I'll be able to share the details of it with you. I so appreciate that even though it may have been uncomfortable for her, that she obeyed God and God spoke. In closing, let's circle back to our original story of Alfred Nobel. I mentioned at the beginning, did, did you ever hear of a, a, another person named Bertha von Suttner? She was an ordinary woman who had a passion for peace. She worked briefly with Alfred Nobel as, a, as an administrative assistant or something, and then they kept up a 20-year correspondence. Alfred's conversations with her changed him and that led to the most influential prize he gives. Without Bertha, it is believed the Nobel Peace Prize would have never existed. Don't minimize the small promptings and acts of obedience that you are doing as you live out your faith. As a result of Ananias overcoming his fear and obeying God, Saul is welcomed into the church and then sent out to bring the gospel to the Gentiles. And it's because of the gospel to the Gentiles that you and I are here knowing Jesus today. 
God uses ordinary people to bring his love, his life, and his hope to this world. So the admission today is let's listen and let's radically obey. I mean, Walter, who we prayed for earlier, is a great example. In facing his discomfort with walking into a prison, God has allowed his life to see many people saved and allowed him to mentor many prisoners back to a productive, good way of living. And now this week he gets to care for and bring the gospel to those on death row. An ordinary person just working through life listening to God and allowing that radical obedience and response to God to make an impact on others, even when it's uncomfortable. So how can we walk this out this week? Let's pause for a moment and let's let the Holy Spirit speak to us. We're going to do a little bit more of this, uh, just create a, a, a small space in the service for you just to listen. Right now, I want you to just, if you need to close your eyes or do whatever you need to do to focus, you can keep them open, whatever, it doesn't matter. There's nothing magical about closing eyes. I just want you to take a moment and ask the Spirit of God what He's saying to you and maybe what He wants you to do. So here's the deal. Don't overthink it. Don't overanalyze it. If you felt like God put somebody in your mind, if you felt like God gave you a picture or a word, as long as it's something encouraging, building up, don't overthink it. Just do it. As we end service, just do it. Or today, just do it. Even if it's not God, You'll gradually learn what is and what isn't God. But there's a principle in the scriptures that when God gives us something and we do it, he gives more. If he gives us something and we don't do it, he's not going to give us more. So just don't overthink it. Do it. And maybe, maybe, It's going to be one of these moments God shows up in a really powerful way. And you're going to go, I came here today feeling low myself, and I prayed for somebody, and God healed them. Go figure. I never knew that could happen through me. And the point is, it doesn't happen through you. It's the Spirit of God working. And sometimes, oftentimes, He works through us even when we don't feel like it. Because it's not up to us. It's not our merit. It's God's grace working through us. So I just want to encourage you, listen and obey. Create more room in your life each day, even if it's just 30 seconds, several times a day, to just pause and say, Holy Spirit, what are you saying to me? What are you doing today? What do you want to do through my life today? And as long as it's encouraging, as long as it's something to build up, 
Don't overthink it. Just do it. And see if it isn't God. Would you stand with me as we pray? Holy Spirit, I just pray that you'd come right now and you'd rest upon us. For those of us who no matter how much we talk about, don't overthink it, we still question it, we still, it still feels awkward to do that. Lord, I just pray that you'd come to us and give us the confidence to step out. And Lord, now as we turn our voices to you, would you come in this moment as we worship you and do your good work. In Jesus' name, amen. We hope you encountered the love of Jesus in this message. If you'd like to be a part of the ministry God is doing through Quest, whether in person or online, go to questvineyard.org for more information. If you want to worship God by supporting Quest financially, go to questvineyard.org give. May God bless you this week as you partner with God to change the world one friendship at a time.